Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of JV Club. I know it's been about a month since you've heard my voice, but I'm happy to be back with an extremely special guest, Susan Vale. Susan and I discussed so much during our episode, including going back and forth from drama to comedy, her special Emmy nomination morning, editing during a pandemic, and, well, moments before a premiere, and so much more. Your show is comprised of four female editors, and the category you're nominated in has five of six female editors, including three on your show. So how does that feel? I mean, that's kind of, like, amazing. One, that it feels amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Sorry, but go ahead. Finish your... Oh, I was just saying, like, how, like, to sort of, like, see this, like, wave of, like, female editors come into the, like, I mean, they've always been there, but it's, like, to truly, like, take prominence in a category, um, and not just this category, but so many others, like, especially this year. Um, Like, what is your reaction to that? It's, it's just extraordinary pride and joy, just, like, and, and, um, I mean, if I could just do virtual high fives and, you know, just the Eric LaSalle, you know, thing from the ER opening, you know, I mean, I just, it's like, we're all so pumped about it because um, we worked so hard, but also all three of us, uh, Jessica Brunetto, Allison Greer and me, like we've all been working in comedy for a while. And so it's like, we came to the table with a lot of experience and varieties of shows we've worked on. Um, Jess did Broad City for a long time and Allie did Portlandia. I literally have a framed Portlandia poster in my house. I just was like, I'm so excited to work with these women. And um, oh my God, Jess did this crazy show called Time Traveling Bong. It's just, I mean, it's so, so great and offbeat and strange. And, um, and so, um, and then I did Grey's Anatomy forever and then I missed doing comedy. So I went kind of veered back into it and I, I did a bunch of network comedies and Space Force and then I got hacks and I just was, um, yeah, I was so happy to be a part of this. And then it's my first time though of being part of an all-female editing team. And so it was really especially sad for me that we weren't able to be together every day because it just, it would have been so fun. We did it all, we all worked from home we um we we would chat on teams and text each other and um and uh it was okay you know but it would have been so much more fun and awesome and strengthening to like be able to just pop in each other's editing rooms and watch each other's scenes i mean i would i would watch cuts at home and just immediately start texting them and be like i'm dying over how funny that is and the physical comedy is amazing and you know, I just wish wish so much we could have done that in person more. So anyway, but your question was about the five of the six editors in uh, comedy editing being women, and it's it's wonderful. Um, I have an email group that I'm a, a part of that was begun by Jamie Nelson Pedrosa, who's a female editor now producer who was on Blackish for a long time, and she she produces um, almost all the Kenya Barris shows now. Um, as sort of a supervising editor producer. And she started this amazing email list um, that was, it was, it's literally called calling all female comedy editors or something. 
And it's, we just keep forwarding and it's, it's, and including more women on this list. So I think it's grown from about 20 or maybe just, it was, maybe it started with like a dozen or 15 female comedy editors. It's now at about 30. And, um, it's just so awesome because Jamie's original premise with it was that she was so tired of being contacted and hearing it's so hard to find a female comedy editor. And she said, okay, well, here's a dozen. And now we have two and a half dozen that are on this list that it's so easy to be like, here you go. They're all incredibly talented and, and experienced too, mm -hmm. you know, from multicam to sitcom to dramedy. And, um, and so it just, it's something I've always known that women are great comedy editors, but it feels like it's the moment has really arrived and it's, it's so great. That's so fantastic to hear. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that it all started and sort of, well, not all started, but is, is being sort of done by like the women are raising up women and that's something so empowering. 100%. Here. Yeah. And just, I mean, just to circle in on that too, what the person who I owe a lot to in terms of helping me really kind of find a more mainstream line in comedy is a, is a woman named Claire Scanlon. <clears throat> and she and I uh, worked together in 2001 and on, I was her assistant on a documentary on like two or three documentaries actually. And, uh, and it, and then she went and stayed in reality and she cut the apprentice, but then she was able to pivot and she started working on the office. And all that time is when I was on Grey's Anatomy and we lost touch. And then, um, we, uh, the, the woman who was the camera editor, ca excuse me, camera operator on the office, Sarah Levy, what had been a classmate of mine in film school and she was the most talented DP when we were in film school. And so I, I don't, I, I loved her and I'd work with her a lot. I started seeing Sarah posting on Facebook that she was going to see all these bands and concerts with Claire Scanlon. And I was like, I love bands and concerts. And in fact, I was at half of those. And so the three of us kind of reconnected through Facebook and the fact that we all loved the same indie rock bands <laughs> and, and then, um, and so I, I reconnected with Claire and it was soon after this that both of us got our first chances to direct on the shows we were on because she was having such great success at the office. And mm -hmm. I'd been on Grey's Anatomy for a bazillion years since its pilot episode. And so we just really were able to support each other at that moment too of transitioning from being editors for a long time on these shows to, to directing for the first time. And she has since just skyrocketed as a director. Mm -hmm. And she's doing so, she just did Never Have I Ever and she's... Um, she directed a Netflix movie that was just so cute, and um, and I'm forgetting the name, but it's um, it was it was awesome. It was with Leah Thompson's daughter, and it's it's adorable romantic comedy, and she's just amazing. And so she really listened to me when I started saying I wanted what I realized about directing. What directing helped me to realize was that I wanted to focus on comedy, and that it wasn't so much that I wanted to direct, but I just, oops, my microphone just fell. Hang on one second, let me just tighten that tech support okay <laughs> um so anyway so she um she really listened and when I when I felt like it was time to leave Grey's Anatomy it wasn't to direct it was to really focus on on comedy and try to try to try to find the opportunities that I kind of felt had gone away at Grey's because they had gotten so dramatic one second honey I'm in the middle of an interview what do you need uh, I don't. You better look for them. I do not know, but you can always use one of mine, okay? Okay. Sorry. Thank you. This is like my life working. It's like I'm sitting here in my avid in my bedroom, 
My dog is next to me. My daughter's running in and out. <laughs> we no. might have to pause for a piano lesson. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, that's, that's been the interesting work from home, sort of like adjusting to everything, but also completely understanding that life that was once not included in our lives, really at work, are now yeah. being included in our work so it's just yeah my she understands my job so much better now which is really kind of great because it would keep me away from home a lot but so now like they see what i do and they hear what i do and um and hilariously everly my daughter everly who's almost nine would would watch a lot of cuts of hacks with me because i just i like to watch them on my laptop because i i sort of for me it really helps to change my perspective Mm -hmm. Uh, when i watch cuts like from being on the avid to just being on a TV in another room in the house or on my laptop. And I would fast forward through quite a few scenes. But yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, she really enjoyed watching it. She loved Ava. And she would pick up on all these adorable details, like um, in episode five, where Ava's telling the the concierge at the hotel that she's trying to cut down on her screen time. And, you know, the TV is a second tier screen. Later in that episode, she's texting her agent, Jimmy, and my daughter said, but she was trying to cut down on her screen time. <laughs> I just loved that she paid attention. Like she really had listened and connected it, you know, in the story. And um, there was another point where she had some strong opinions about what Deb was wearing or her hair or something. You know, and, and um, the it critical thinkers so, of the of it, the future. I love it. It I was so it. it was it was great. And she's like she's really learning to watch. And here you might appreciate this. This killed me on on May the fourth. You know, it's Star Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. Yeah. So my husband and I had put on uh, Star Wars, and uh, she was like not interested. She just she finally wandered in, and she took a look at the TV, and then she turned and she she dropped this bomb. She said. I can always tell when something was shot in the 1900s because it looks blurry and their skin looks orange. <laughs> the 1900s? I've never heard someone say the ni- <laughs> back in the 1900s. <laughs> it's the most savage thing I've like ever. I was like, just, I couldn't even talk. And my husband had to explain to her, because like, she was like, what's wrong, mommy? And I, he's like, well, he said, you know, we, we talk about the 1900s like it was 100 years ago, but I guess for you, it was... <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, you probably weren't even born in the 1900s, so... <laughs> yeah, I, was a, I was a 95 baby, so I... Ooh, okay, right the, all right. Right on the cusp, right on the cusp. But <laughs> oh, wow, yes. that, that hurts. Like if someone said, <laughs> wow, back in the 1900s, you guys had really bad... Like, <laughs> I know, maybe she'll be a comedian, because that's sharp, you know? But yeah, no, I mean, just to come in with that, <laughs> five seconds of watching a show, just being like, wow, 1900s, yeah. really awful. Uh, I'm sorry, and I'm segueing all over the place, but just to circle back, I was talking about uh, Claire Scanlon yes. and just how women help women. And she yeah. really did, she she was just so great like to reconnect with and then she really listened because for, for me, what directing revealed to me was that um, I, I went to this networking meeting at ABC, I remember, and they said, make a list of all the shows you might want to direct because you'll probably meet executives and producers here at this meeting who, who might be from those shows. And I made the list and I looked at it and it was all comedy. And it was that was a real light bulb moment for me. And and I kind of realized after that, because I, I didn't love directing and I can talk about that um, later, you know, it, it, you have to really love it to want mm-hmm. to be a director. 
And what I realized was that I was really just looking for a challenge and that, um, that that's kind of what was enticing me about directing was just doing a really new, exciting challenge. And so when I saw this list of comedy, I realized that was where I wanted to be. And it wasn't so much about being in the director's chair. It was just about being in comedy in one way or another. And so I shared that with Claire and she was like, let's get you on something. And so I, I at that time I realized it was, it stayed at the Grey's Anatomy party for way too long. I'd been there for 11 seasons. It's time to, <laughs> time to spread my wings. And I, um, and she helped me get an interview for this show called Grandfather that was this John Stamos half yeah, hour that was so charming with Paget Brewster and Josh Peck. And it was just, uh, I really loved that show. And um, the showrunner is, um, oh my God. I'm blanking on his name. Danny, 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 Danny Chun, Dan, Danny Chun, Daniel Chun. He had been at the um, one of the writers on The Office, and um, uh, Sam Laybourne was an EP. It was just a wonderful group of people, and I had mm. so much fun on it. And it was a great. It was a whole new challenge. Like cutting comedy like that was wildly harder than I had thought it would be. I was like, I did lots of comedy on Grey's Anatomy, and it was very different. And it was incredible training, and they were so welcoming and so wonderful. And so, and I really owed that to Claire. And so that's what I love about, you know, the, the careers you can have. Someone I assisted, I was her assistant editor in 2001 in a documentary that nobody saw on A&E, <laughs> helped me get this job in comedy in, you know, 2015, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then that's also what then led to me getting Space Force because she worked with Dave Rogers, who, um, on the office and then Dave Rogers was the lead editor and uh and director on a uh, director on Space Force and so she reminded him about me because uh, and and you know it was just such a great opportunity and so I, I owe her so much and um I'm just so grateful to the chances she helped me explore you know That's amazing a true yeah. like full circle moment really yeah yeah and then it was Dave Rogers who gave my name to the producers at Hacks because um you know, they, Morgan Sackett had worked on Parks and Rec and The Office with all those guys. And he was one of our exec producers. And so, and Mike Schur, of course. And so, um, yeah, it really, that's what I just adore. It's like when I, when I follow the through line backwards, it all goes back to assistant editing a documentary in 2001. And that, that moment leads straight to me on hacks. And so it's just, it's extraordinary. And I like telling that story because a lot of people get it worried that when they're starting out that there's they're on projects that won't matter or that no one's going to care about and it's it's sometimes it's not about the actual project it's the people you meet the experience you gain and that's what you know sometimes it takes a long time to pay off but you know it it really can and you just mm -hmm. have to maintain those connections and i think just tell people what you're looking for and and um they'll circle back and help you when they can and also knowing that you can go through the process, understand that there are parts that you don't like and that you don't want to touch again and really be able to focus in and hone your craft on whatever yeah. that may be. So yeah. that's really awesome. I mean, I, I'm also very proud of segueing back and forth between drama and comedy because people will really pigeonhole you. And I found that you know, comedy can be hard to break into because it's a very insulated club. And so I got very lucky that they took a chance on me um, uh, to, on Grandfathered because there even was some pushback hiring me from the studio at that point because I wasn't a half hour editor. 
Um, and so there's a real like sense, like you have to have done that before. And, uh, and since then I've actually almost made it a point to go back and forth. So actually right now I'm on an hour long ABC, I mean, excuse me, an hour long HBO series that is very romantic and, you know, performance, like very angsty performance driven show. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's like, it's like doing choreography that I, 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 I know very well, you know what I mean? From my years on Grey's and This Is okay. Us, shows like that. And um, it's nice to flex those muscles too and just, you know, dance that dance again. But yeah. comedy, but comedy is just like, it's so much fun. It's so exciting to be a part of. And Hacks was just like a dream come true in terms of the content and the people. Mm -hmm. So you were touching on this just a little bit, but mm -hmm. can you sort of, bring us back to how you first heard about hacks and then sort of explaining like, like, was there any hesitancy signing on to something like this? Or, I mean, were you just like all in? Yes. I mean, I, um, you know, so I finished Space Force in 2020 on like March 7th or something. And, um, you know, we all know the world kind of shut down on March 15th, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to do a pilot um, starting like March 19th or something ridiculous. So it was so crazy that in that little gap, everything closed. And then I didn't work for seven months. And um, uh, then that was okay, because especially coming from network television, we're used to like these hiatuses that happen in between the seasons. And a lot was going on for my family. So I was actually really grateful to be able to be home for them and help my kids get adjusted to the Zoom school. And my husband was suddenly working from home and we all needed to eat. And just, it, it actually really was nice to be available and, and support everyone. But, um, but I wanted to work too, I love my job. And so the pilot uh, was scheduled to come back in, um, um, I think December. And, um, but things were really getting worse with COVID right around that time as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think in early November, I, I got this inquiry about hacks and it, again, it had come because David Rogers, who's the editor on Space Force had given my name to Morgan Sackett and Mike Schur, who were producing this with the showrunners and creators of hacks are Lucia Aniello, Paul Downs and Jen Statsky and Jen, Mike Schur had been her mentor on The Good Place. And so, um, Anyway, they contacted me and, and it, it just, it was, it was, I never liked to, to back out of a job, but I mean, it's like when you're given the choice between a series that's going to go for six months versus a, a pilot after not working for seven months, it was like, I have to do what's best for my family. And so um, they were, and then they were really understanding, which was, was real, really kind. Um, that show is called The Big Leap and it will be on Fox and it's such a great script. One of the best pilot scripts I've ever read. But um, I, yeah, I, I also, I was a crazy Parks and Rec fan. Like I love Leslie Nope so much and Ben Wyatt everyone from Parks and Rec and that was a Mike Schur created show. And then uh, The Good Place. I just, I just think The Good Place is one of the most wonderful shows that's ever been on television. Mm -hmm. And so uh, to work with people who had been a part of that was just Jen, Jen Schur and um, I mean, Jen Statsky and Mike Schur and Morgan Sackett was extremely exciting. I'd watched Broad City. I always felt like maybe generationally I was a little older for it. So it didn't, I didn't connect with it as much. Like I found its visceral comedy to be fantastic. But um, I, you know, I, I, I wish I had discovered it when I was a little bit younger or something, but um, yeah. uh, sorry. And then um, <laughs> it's so funny. I get nervous talking about this because 
it, it I, I've never been more nervous as I was in that hacks interview because I wanted it so badly. And um, mostly because they, the, the, the words gene smart, yeah. <laughs> like the second they said that I, I was just like, wait, she's amazing. And I, I, I first really discovered her in um, Fargo season two, where she played the, the matriarch of this sort of mid Midwestern crime yeah. family. Yeah. And it was, she was astonishing to me in that. Like so good. So fierce. She just, I mean, the fierceness was that she just owned it. And then Watchmen, she was amazing. My husband and I were just obsessed with her in that. Um, I'm a big um, superhero comic book fan too. And so I'd, I'd seen the original movie and it was just great to see where she took that Lori Blake character. And and then um, and then I, I had not yet seen Mayor of Easttown. Actually, Mayor of Easttown wasn't on yet. So um, anyway, but I just knew her from all those things and just thought she was extraordinary. And, and I've learned a long time ago, you know, that the cast makes such a huge difference. Um, yeah. For me, part of one of the reasons I left Grey's Anatomy was Sandra Oh and Patrick Dempsey had left at that point. And um, they just, they were such wonderful actors to cut their performances. And while there were many great actors still on the show, it just, it was a loss for me that I wasn't getting to work um, with, with actors like that. And so I just know how important it is to have great casting it's just like check <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be good you know and my job's gonna be that much more fun because it's not gonna be about saving something or making it look good when it's weaker or whatever because sometimes yeah. you have to really protect the cast but Gene Smart I knew would be amazing and uh and then I said who's playing Ava because they'd sent me some of the scripts and so my god I'd read these scripts too and I just was like these are so lively and interesting and intelligent and just the writing was so just left off the page and and that second episode prim just was like this crazy almost action movie adventure you know of their road trip and Thelma and louise and yeah, i just was yeah. like oh my god i was just like are you kidding me this isn't a half it was like 52 scenes and a half hour script i was just blown away so anyway so i knew it was going to be so great and i asked who's going to play ava and they said hannah einbinder I hadn't heard of her. They said, look her up on Colbert. And I don't know if you've ever seen her first performance on Colbert. Where I she, haven't, no. It's so good. She's doing this almost like film noir kind of, you know, pacing. And like, it's hilarious and so self-assured. And I was just immediately really impressed and then and relieved because like she's going to be up against Gene Smart in all these scenes. And we were just all so ecstatic over her what she brought to the table and, and just how she and Jean connected and like their performances were all so good. So anyway, so I had that interview. I just was so nervous in it because I wanted it so badly <laughs> and I'm so grateful that I got it. And I actually got hired. I think they just started shooting too. So I, I jumped in and they were already like two days into the shoot. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the first, practically the first scene I got was that amazing helicopter scene in the desert where Jean does this amazing speech about, you know, you know, about how she's like, you're, you know, Ava says, you're making this really hard. And she's like, hard, you don't know what hard is. You know, you have to, you know, you have to be so much more than good. You have to, <laughs> good is the baseline, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it was just, I, I was like, this is what I'm here for. Like this Gene Smart giving an amazing speech like this, holding a parasol in an epic <laughs> desert scene, you know, with this, and then this amazing shot where that was not a visual effect where the helicopter lands right behind her and perfectly timed with her performance. Like they had to do that a couple of times and that last one, it just synced right up with her speech. And it was just so awesome. Like, I was like, look at this, look at this scene. You know? yeah. And then, and then Ava was so good in it too. Her reactions were so like 
she was both protecting herself and vulnerable and I was really impressed she was able to do all of that. So um, yeah, right off the bat, I was just really, really amazed with Lucio's direction and the acting and I just knew it was just such a great place to be. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting how you've been sort of going back uh, back and forth with Gene Smart and mm -hmm. Hannah Einbinder because it is very interesting to sort of think of the dynamics of the two and how one is like this veteran that everyone knows and mm -hmm. then Hannah Einbinder who's, if you've watched Stephen Colbert, then you would mm -hmm. know her. But I mean, other than that, you have no clue. So it yeah. is this very like refreshing, I mean, it's just a refreshing take on a comedy to be perfectly honest, just to see someone of that stature go toe to toe with someone who I'm not saying has no business going toe to toe with them, but <laughs> like if that was me in my first job, I don't know how that would have gone over. So it's just, it's such a, it's such an yeah. interesting move and such an interesting take on the whole sort of like boss, um, intern boss, like low salary, low pay, like, it's just, it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's me where I'm at in my sort of timeline where it's like, I'm still this young individual still trying to yeah. find there. So it, it definitely resonates. And um, I think that's why I just immediately took to it because, I mean, that was also the great part of what HBO Max did where they released those first three episodes and you were able to get into the story and not just be yeah. like okay hannah einbinder just got like totally like sideswiped off the road as she's leaving <laughs> king smart's house so like to me i would have been like i don't know what's going to happen next but i mean just having the ability to watch those three episodes um from the get-go was I think very smart on HBO Max's part just to get the full story. So yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that was interesting for me was that um, I really realized working on this show. Um, I had this sort of moment of realization just about how much experience I have um, in terms of like first season shows and helping shape them and helping figure out how to th help the audience connect with them. And so yeah, that was a discussion of 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 were they which episodes were they going to air first and and um and then also um the structure of the first episode which Jess Brunetto cut brilliantly and um because the scene here's a, here's an interesting little secret this the first episode of this excuse me the first scene of the second episode is where uh Jean comes into the Pilates gym and basically lowers the boom on Marty and she says you know I got your pentatonics thing canceled and too bad. And that was supposed to be the end of the pilot. Mm. And, um, and, and it's funny because for the longest time we didn't have that, we had that huge scene between Ava and Jean in the, in the, in her living room where they first, they have the big interview. And then the next scene was Jean chasing her down in the car. And then there was last scene where she comes in and she talks to Marty and, you know, basically says, I'm getting my, getting my dates back. And um, it just, I, I, th I think I even said to them, I was like, <laughs> why, aren't, why aren't you ending with like Ava and Deb, you know, that scene that sounds like it's going to be so amazing in the car. And, um, and so 
But then 102 had been written with this gorgeously designed opening of her waking up. You know, it starts out with like her alarm clock going off at 5 a.m. And you get these two side by side mornings of Ava and Deb. Like Deb's morning is, you know, 5 a.m. working out, makeup, hair, you know, reading all the newspapers. Like she's working so hard starting at 5 a.m. And then Ava yeah. wakes up at 1030 and, you know, goes and eats hot dogs and eggs and in a casino with a cigarette smoking, you know, cafeteria. <laughs> so it was just really comparing their two lives. And I loved the strength of that opening. And so at first I was, they were like, we're going to take that, that Pilates scene and move it to the top of, um, of 102. But we just had to make it work. And so that's kind of like when, when producers want to restructure, you know, you just do it. And so I did a lot of options about where like the hacks title would go and things like that. And, um, but I actually thought, you know, it had almost been, you know, a thought I'd had myself, which was like, that scene, don't end on that scene, you know, like end on the Ava gets the job scene, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that really like sets everything up. And then same was, um, there was a moment in the, the pilot. So anyway, my point was just that I've, I've worked on a lot of shows and, and especially in Grey's Anatomy, the second episode, um, was really difficult. And, um, the network really, uh, put us through the ringer on that. I was an assistant editor on that episode and I've just never forgotten, um, Shonda Rhimes, like finally just really set kicking kicking in and saying, I'm going to follow my instincts and make the episode that I want to make just, you know, because it feels like the network wants to cancel this show. So I'm just going to make the shows I want to make. And it was a really important moment for her and to not get railroaded, um, by other people's desires for the show that she was creating. And so I've always taken that as like a guiding, um, just, a, just a, a guideline for working on shows, really trusting the producers, what they want to put out there, the tone they want to sell, um, they, that they, that what they want to show the audience and, and safeguarding that as an editor. Like, I feel like I'm the advocate. I'm the, I'm the guardian of the show and the tone. So in the first episode, um, there's the scene where Ava has the sort of one night stand with the Postmates guy, Yeah, you know, and, um, I think there had been a network request to, to lift the sex scene part of it where they, she's opening the boxes and looking for a condom and he's you know, stimulating himself while watching, watching her do that. Yeah. And I thought Jess had done the most amazing job making that Postmates guy adorable while he's masturbating, which I was like, that's a, that's a hard trick to, to, <laughs> to, to accomplish. And it also, um, I just was like, it's so funny. The, the physical comedy of opening the boxes with her and her bra and everything and trying to find desperately find a condom and not ruin the moment. It was so hilarious. And I just thought it, it, it encapsulated the tone of the show so well, yeah. that there was going to be sex, but the sex was going to be funny. And it was, you know, and, uh, and it was going to be, it was going to be a little tawdry, but it was also going to be adorable. And, and so it totally worked to lift that scene and go right from her saying, um, to the Postmates guy, Hey, and he turns around and, um, and then like you cut to her waking up next to him. Mm. Easy. That totally worked. But yeah. I actually saw that cut and I wrote an email to the producers and I said, I just want to beg for that scene to go back in because something about that scene, the first time I saw it delighted me so much because I just felt like I, I learned so much about what the world of this show was going to be from the tone of that humor and the sexiness and all of it rolled into one. And I think it's so worth it just to do that. It, it felt like it was a lift for time. Like they just wanted to like shorten the pilot a little bit, but I was like, I really think it's worth 
keeping. It also kind of made me like Ava because I'm seeing her struggling with boxes and, you know, not just be a sad sack about about her work life. So I just yeah. I liked seeing her owning her sexuality and um, I liked so much about it. And, and the producers were like, we totally agree. And so they're like, it's going back. And, uh, and I was just so happy that also it was, a, it was a, a relationship in a workplace where I could actually share a thought like that. And it was, you know, welcomed because not every producer wants to hear your opinion on an episode that's not even one that you're cutting. Yeah. So, um, so they were really, really open to, to stories like that. So yeah, so I, I was really, I just, that to me also just made me realize how, what a great show I was on because that I had producers that I was working for who really wanted to, to welcome what I could bring to the table, not just as an editor, but as just someone who's experienced in television and, and, and that I also knew the importance of the, um, the arc of a pilot and then what the second episode needs to do. Because mm -hmm. the pilot, especially of Hacks, does this amazing job introducing you to Deb, introducing you to Ava, and then you get this final epic scene where they meet. But episode two is the one where they really start to get to know each other. Yeah. And, you know, and the rules of the game kind of get established, you know, by by Jean and her expectations and like handing her all the, no, none of your jokes work. The way she's constantly making Ava wait, you know, she's or she's she's constantly leaving the room before Ava. That was this motif that I loved in the second episode. And if you notice it, I think it happens almost nine times in that episode where Jean leaves the room first and she, you know, and she just leaves Ava in her wake constantly. And so so she's basically establishing, you know, you come to my house, you um, you wait for me while I change my soda machine fountain, <laughs> you know, you you um, you you know, you can follow me out of this room. The meeting's over. I'm going to go play blackjack. And she's constantly basically setting up the rules of their interaction by mm -hmm. just how she even, you know, enters and exits and dictates their um, their timing together and how much time they spend together and everything. Mm -hmm. So I just I loved those physical elements of a show. And so I was really happy to to, to pick up on a motif like that, because I think that's really important in the second episode. It's not just about the dialogue, but it's about, you know, making sure you understand the character's dynamics. Um, and um, and so that, you know, that pays off so much when they go on the desert road trip yeah. and they go get that crazy pepper shaker. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and then the, you know, the producers had explained one of the, the things about the, the dynamic of their relationship was always going to be, one step forward, two steps back. That that was, you know, so 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 Ava comes back with the pepper shaker and it's like this moment, they've earned a win, they got a W. And then she gets to come for the meeting the next day and she's told she has to basically, you know, go through an entire basement of tapes. And so it was just this, that it was a very yeah. clear one step forward, two steps back. And uh, and and just again, in terms of editing, they're, that episode was very, very long. Um, and so uh, we were trying to get it closer to 30 minutes because it was hovering around like 34, 36 minutes. And so there was a lot of discussion that maybe we should put that scene with the basement at the very end, move that to the third episode and that the that the end of episode two would have been her um, just looking the pepper shaker moment, you know, where she closes the cabinet and she's alone with the pepper shaker, which yeah. is a gorgeous, spectacular yeah. moment with Jean Smart doing the most beautiful little piece of acting. Just that, that mo that's why I stayed on her in full, just no cuts away where she puts it in the cabinet. She looks at it with satisfaction. 
she looks around at all the others and you see this whole 360 degree of emotion happen on her face where then suddenly she starts feeling complete but she looks around and she sees all the pears it's all the pears of salt and pepper shakers and you kind of see it land on her that she's she's solo she's she's just one she needs a pair she needs her pair mm-hmm. and so that it's like the most beautiful visual metaphor it was so great it could have been a great ending but um but i was like but this show's a comedy let's end on the you know ava like oh man moment <laughs> it's yeah. so much more fun and yeah. i was and and that at that point we'd also learned they were going to release the first two episodes together and i was like i don't want people to wait a week on this moment that's sort of sad you know where where jean smart's alone but i was like nah jean smart's coming back to like set up the the, the game with ava and um it's you know I was like, I love seeing these women kind of in battle. And I, I, I was like, that's, that's, let's end on that, you know? And uh, we had that great song by War, Why Can't We Be Friends at the end. That was just so perfect. <laughs> Why can't we be friends? So, um, but anyway, that was something I, I really was excited to very much get in touch with working on Hacks was realizing how much I knew about developing a show in its first season, like beyond just cutting my own episodes, but how much I could advocate for moments um, with the producers just to celebrate their own writing and to, to sort of see the through line of characters' journeys and, and, and know what the audience kind of will help the audience be engaged and want to see more. And um, that was something that was really interesting for me to, to kind of really connect with on Hacks that I was like, oh, I, you know, like Deborah in some ways, I'm like, I've been doing this for decades now. And I, I know, I know a lot more than I realize sometimes. So mm-hmm. I loved that. I, lo- I loved being able to feel like I, I, I could just flex all my muscles and, and bring, bring everything I knew to the table. And, yeah. but most of all, just to tell these women's stories, like, oh my God, it was just heavenly to write, to work with these characters and you know, what they were doing. Yeah. So with four different editors on the show, how did you keep up continuity, but also placing your stamp, like your stamp of who you are and this is how I am as an editor? Um, you know, we just watch each other's cuts. Um, I think especially like the the Jimmy Kayla scenes were really interesting because we they the show was shot very out of order in some ways because of COVID and um, just because of timing. And so, so our first two or three episodes had a lot of holes for a while. And um, I think the Jimmy Kayla scenes were some of the last ones to come in. And that's a, that's obviously a hugely important scene in the pilot where Ava's in the office with Jimmy and kind of he's he finally says, you know, I'm going to connect you with, with Deb and we meet Kayla for the first time. And then I had the Jimmy Kayla scene in episode two where Ava's calling Jimmy and, um, and uh, Kayla's interrupting and saying she has an adult ballet recital she needs to get to and stuff. <laughs> and um, Jess Brunetto had worked with Lucia and Paul a lot on Broad City. So she was really familiar with their rhythm. And they were like, you should really look at the way she cut the the Jimmy, um, Ava, Kayla scene. Because they were like, it's just this crackling pace. And uh, Jess called it... Um, the Jen Statsky rat-a-tat-tat or something, you know, because they just, they just wanted it to be super brisk and, and bright. So that yeah. really helped me because she'd worked with them a lot before. And um, and I just watched the style and the, the, the speed and kind of just nimbleness of how quickly she cut that scene. And then I just super tightened my scene with, with Jimmy and, um, and Ava and Kayla. 
And, um, you know, I always try to show in my editor's cut everything the producers can have. And, um, and then we just, you know, we sort of like, we just take away and like leave the best bits that are there. And so that's part of the process, you know, it's just then like, and then smushing the air out where that really helps just to keep it like a very fast yeah. pace. So that was one thing that was really great was just getting to see each other's work. Um, Allie came in at, uh, to just save the day when Jess and I were, we were, I think we, Jess and I did the first five episodes that had been shot. And then they brought in Allie to, there was a, a third block of shooting and, and two episodes were being shot simultaneously, 104 and 107. And Allie came in and did that. And, um, you know, at that point, uh, Jess and I just needed <laughs> some moral support too. It was a very tough schedule. It was a very brutal schedule. So we were so grateful that she came in and took, took the load off a little bit. Um, Jess and I were leaning also very hard on our assistants who were amazing and that's Marissa Mueller and she was our she became our fourth female editor and then my assistant was Mark Wiltshire and he was amazing and he he cut scenes in every episode as well I always believe in mentoring assistants um, and giving them chances to cut and then letting producers know that Mark cut this great scene like he cut a couple of the the um, Wilson Marcus scenes that were just so adorable. He did that their mm -hmm. whole like their whole that one in 108. 108 was such a big episode with Jean's um, the comedy club scene that I, I, I let my assistant Mark take the the Marcus Wilson storyline in that I was like, why don't you just do all those those three scenes together because like you'll be able to tell that story and I just want to focus on on Jean's <laughs> epic performance in the comedy club mm -hmm. and so you have to as an editor it's really important to give your assistants those chances to to learn to prove themselves and then if their work is strong enough you let the producers know and so oh my gosh i'm so sorry i realize my daughter's name is still showing up here on the zoom so <laughs> sorry. Me, it won't make, it won't i'm susan up. vale not everly de corpo but <laughs> Um, but anyway, she'll like come in here and she'll write in the chat to you if she could, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, I, it's, it's, it was so important to have our assistants help us. Like they just did such an amazing job. And so I know Marissa was, was working a lot with Jess. And so then Jess was able to give her kind of openly give her more to do on 109. And that's the one that Marissa got a co-editing credit on. And both uh, Mark and Marissa are going on to edit on their next projects. And so, you know, very happy we could graduate them into the world of editors. So anyway, we tried, you know, if, if we had been in, in person, I think it would have been even more amazing because it helps so much in comedy to like grab everyone you can find and be like, come in my room and watch. And then you listen to everyone laugh and you could hear what's working or you can feel where the pace feels slow. It was very sad not to have that. And that's why I would watch cuts religiously. And, um, and then I would just immediately text or message the editors my, my first thoughts. I just was like, you know, take it, take what you like, leave the rest, ignore this entirely, but here's some impressions I had of what was really great or what I thought could get tightened a little bit. And, um, and I was very much open to the same. Um, on 108, uh, I got kind of sick in the middle of it. And, and Jess actually came in and did a day with the producers where she just, you know, tightened and did a few lifts and things with them because that was another really long episode. And I was so, so grateful to that. Um, on 105, it's just and another episode I, I loved and adored and I'm so proud of. That opening with Jean telling all the jokes uh, where she's changing outfits 
was mm. very hard. And honestly, it's something I think should have just been given to a visual effects editor right away. <laughs> and Mark, uh, my assistant, and I did as much as we could in the Avid, just putting all those layers. It was like 12 layers of video, 22 layers of audio. It's really hard to like work on that level in the Avid. Allie, our third editor who come in at that point, turns out um, also works in After Effects, which is a really terrific um, you know, visual effects software. And so she jumped in and she did a last little pass that was really cool for the final like 10, 15 seconds of that piece that just really made the layers kind of um, be very dreamy. And, um, yeah. and again, I welcome that collaboration. It's like, thank you, because I was like, it's so hard to try to do this in the Avid and I'm not an After Effects editor. And so um, it was just, it was so awesome. And then when I finally met Allie in person, I just wanted to give her a giant hug because, and I did, cause she's so cute. But, <laughs> you know, I just, it was, it, again, it was, it was so crazy to have not gotten to be in rooms side by side with each other where we could talk about that in face to face. Like that was really, I missed that. And so I really look forward to the second season if we get to do more of it in person. Yeah. So what do you personally like the most about Hack? Mm. I love telling a show, telling a story about how hard women work. Just fundamentally that. I, I've worked so hard my whole life and seen people take credit for it, seen a lot of other people skyrocket to award shows and things like that. That's fine. I know how hard I work. I know how hard it, it takes to work. And I... I know how hard all women work, especially then those of us in families in a pandemic. <laughs> Being a working mom in a pandemic, let me tell you, is a whole new challenge. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so anyway, it just it was it was so awesome for me that that was the fundamental like underlying thing that these two women had in common, which is that, that they actually worked really hard and they both mm -hmm. knew how to work really hard. And that that was actually something that um, that Jean could inspire in in Ava, that Deb could inspire in Ava, which is to like even double down on that and work even harder. And um, so that for me was was the thing that I just loved so much. Um, but also that it was it was so overtly feminist, and it was just there was just no apologies about that. But it wasn't like it wasn't like tearful feminism or anything. It wasn't like I've been suffering and I'm oppressed or anything. It was just fierce and intelligent yeah. and that first scene I had that first real big head-to-head -head scene in 102 where um Jean Deb asks Ava if she's a lesbian I just remember texting the producers in the middle of it and I just was like this scene is so interesting it's just like just they're the way it was shot the way they brought their presence to it I mean just the way Jean Smart would listen you know, and the reactions she would give. And then how Hannah owned it as an actor. I was just like, you've got this huge monologue where you have to tell this crazy story to Jean Smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, I was, I was just blown away by both of their performances in it and just really loving getting to see them go head to head in a way. Um, and just seeing what Hannah could do. And it was also a moment for me that eventually I, I, I love to, to look at the kind of the end of that scene where Hannah says, um, so anyway, I'm by. And then she does this head, it's like beat, beat, beat. And then she does this head tilt. Mm -hmm. And um, coming out of network television, um, usually what winds up happening is you have to 
hit this TRT, this total running time, so that it can make it on the air. And in comedy, it's 21.40. And in, in drama, it's 42.13. You know, it's like this very specific number that every mm -hmm. episode has to be. And so I can't tell you how many shows I have done where like it, the episode was perfect at 45 minutes or 44 minutes or even 43 minutes, but we still had to squeeze 15 seconds out of it. And so moments like that head tilt that Hannah does at the end where she's like, so anyway, I'm by beat, beat, head tilt. Um, that is exactly the kind of thing I wouldn't have the luxury to play on a network TV show because no one's talking and <laughs> feels like a pause. But for me, it was so much about her 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 character because it was like she was that head head dip head tilt is like hitting the ball back to Deborah's court. It's a, right. it's a little bit of a challenge. It's like so, what do you think of that? And um, and you know, because 102 was a really long episode, I, I did go through it and I, I did do a cut at one point because HBO was saying to us they wanted it to be like 28 minutes. So I was like, oh my God, let me do the radical, awful cut of all these things that we have to take out. You know, I mean, just so much stuff like the, the Kiki car ride singing the song scene was just like this. And, and it was just, it just made us all so sad but it made us all realize the things we wanted to fight for. And one of the things we wanted to fight for was that head tilt because we missed it so much. And it, I just felt like it was such a great silent beat with her character. Yeah. So um, I guess, yeah, that's you're, you're asking what I love about Hacks. I just, I loved number one, that it was fierce and feminist. I love that it's about how, how hard women work. And I also loved that eventually HBO Max really got on board with the episodes staying staying a length that made it the best episode and it wasn't about like we think audiences like 28 minutes of television but they they started watching it and i think they really saw what they were getting and they were like great it's locked don't even you know and for me that's just it's such a luxury because instead of spending my time with the producers trying to figure out what we're going to take out we could spend our time really going through it and making sure it was absolutely the best most you know finely fine-tuned bit of of television we could give to the audience. And I think that just showed in the end. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I felt that 100% that, I mean, I don't think that there was a moment like wasted or that there was a moment that was too much or too little. Like it just, it felt like it was just that, and maybe it was also like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, I can't keep saying this enough. It's just such a refreshing show because you just don't see things like this. And so it's just like, when yeah. you're given something like it, it's just like you grasp onto every single second of it. So a hundred percent. I mean, I, I, by the way, I just, everything you said just gave me chills because it's just such a astute understanding of it, that there wasn't a moment wasted. Like I almost want to cry because that's what it felt like working on it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we were, I don't, we worked six days a week, like, and mm -hmm. the producers worked seven days a week and, and we were under such an intense pressure to make that Emmy deadline. And so it was just like this huge, um, just vice-like iron process of like making it great, making it great. But it was just like, so, so that's why I, I felt like all of us, all through all, all the editors, all four of us, you know, and, and Mark, my assistant too. I mean, just, we brought all the experience to the table so that like every strike of the hammer was intentional and worked and we did it efficiently and we, you know, and, but we also really wouldn't stop until it was perfect. And that kind of perfectionism can drive some producers and studios crazy with when the producers are just like you know i thought we locked but we want to make a change like we we lifted a line in the 11th hour in the 
in the finale. That was just a small little line. It's so funny because I, I was just texting with Jen Statsky and I was like, hey, I never asked why you guys wanted to lift that line. I mean, the show had locked and it was just a three second lift, but um, it was in that bedroom scene with, um, with Ava and, and Jean. It was when they were talking about her big hands and she was like, yeah, I went into the garage and I could, I, I, I actually could palm a basketball. And there was an extra phrase where she's like, you know, regulation size too, not just women's. And uh, that was what they lifted. And they were like, we just wanted that scene to get going. And it felt like it was lingering. And so they were looking for a way to speed it up. And um, literally like they, you know, called me after the, the show had aired. I mean, the show hadn't aired, sorry, the show had locked. And we had to make some adjustments to be able to pull the whole show up and do that. But it's like, they really cared so much about making it exactly right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I felt the way about Hacks like I did when I read the Grey's Anatomy pilot, where I just was like, oh my God, these characters are so rich and amazing. And I love telling these women stories who are um, articulate and intelligent and ambitious and are not, you know, it's not Sex in the City where they're having brunch and wearing stilettos all the time. They're like, you know, in real clothes <laughs> and have real goals. And when yeah. they talk to each other, they're talking about um, incredibly funny social commentary moments. Like I just, all the humor was so biting and incisive and hilarious and, and great references, you know, like all over the place. And then, the, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to have these incredible guest stars like Caitlin Olson and um, Jane Addams, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, uh, Lou Nell who played uh, Miss Loretta's, uh, who played, who played um, Cle uh, uh, Marcus's mother's friend. I mean, just like, boom, the, you know, she was so amazing in one episode. Um, it just, it was, it was really like, I, anyway, sorry, I think I've gone, gone off talking the topic, but. No, no, I just, no, I love it. Like I you said, it. no moment was wasted. No role was wasted, um, you know, and, and it just was, it was really like, uh, and then, and then no mo literally no minute, minute was wasted because we worked, it felt like round the clock for about four months. Mm -hmm. So. In fact, wait, here's one last funny story, just in terms of the timing and how oh, yeah. compressed pressed it all was the the show aired we aired the first two episodes right and it was it was dropping week by week so the, the week after the first two episodes aired aired we were doing the sound mix for the finale and but hbo um had was doing a, a screening at the rose bowl which is this big um stadium here in la and they were because yeah. of covid protocols they were doing these called they're called four-year consideration screenings and they they did it as like a drive-in which was really fun because just for safety and um and so we knew that screening was at i think you know seven o'clock and our showrunners were all supposed to go introduce it and when you do a sound mix, basically, uh, you know, normally you go to the mix stage, but again, because of COVID, we're all doing it from home over streaming streams over on, on our laptop and then talking over Zoom as well. And so um, so the way it works is like the, the sound mixers do a pass on the full sound mix. We listen to that. We give our notes. Um, then they work on those notes and then they play that play it back for us again so we can approve if the notes have been addressed. And we were in the middle of doing that final approval of like, let's watch everything where the notes were done and still make some more tweaks. And just the, the clock was just ticking to this screening. And it was also a public event. So they needed to look nice. And like, you know, one person was getting their hair flat ironed in the middle of it over Zoom. <laughs> and we just like, we knew they needed to leave at 6.30 and we weren't done. And so they had to get into the car. I'm sure 
I, I can only imagine that Jen's husband was probably driving and they tried to bring a laptop or an iPad that had, you know, 3G or whatever. And so they could, they were trying to watch, they couldn't, but, but it, it wouldn't hold the signal for, from the stream, for the stream from the, um, from the soundstage, but it would hold the Zoom signal. So they were like, Susan, open up your audio signal on Zoom so we can kind of just hear through your Zoom what they're playing from the soundstage. And then unfortunately the signal wasn't strong enough for picture or audio with them. So we couldn't hear or see them. They could only type in the chat and they'd be like, okay, can you play back this note? And then they were like, it sounds, we think it sounds okay. Susan, how does it sound to you? Cause I could hear it better. It was, that's how we finished mixing the finale with them in a car on zoom chatting <laughs> their notes. I mean, it was like, that's what I mean. It was just down to the wire. It was yeah. just, it was like not a single second was not maximized. And, um, <laughs> God bless these guys. They worked so hard, uh, Jen, Lucia and Paul. I mean, they, they are brilliant and they are young and they are just extraordinary and they would, they never ceased working. Like it was, they just seven days a week, all hours of the night. I mean, it was just, they would be on set and then they'd come back and watch cuts and they'd email us notes and they'd be looking at music cues and visual effects and uh, until like two in the morning, three in the morning, every night, it was really intense. So, but I just, their commitment to it was extraordinary. Yeah. So we spoke very briefly on this, but, um, so where were you on Emmy nomination morning and how did you find out about it? Well, that's actually a very sweet and special thing because, um, oh gosh, I'm gonna like probably get emotional, but my, my mother who really believed in me and was just such a huge influence in me and developing my work ethic passed away in uh, 2003. And I was still an assistant editor then, and I um, was in the middle of working on a Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai. And I remember how excited she was about it because it was my first real credit, which by the way, The Last Samurai was just referenced in Ted Lasso and it just cracked me up so much. But <laughs> anyway, um, but um, so I, I, I just have been so sad that she missed seeing my career blossom and develop okay. and really go places, you know, and because uh, the year after she passed away, I, I was doing Grey's Anatomy. But I, I will be honest with you, I took all that grief and I put it into Grey's Anatomy, which is why I think it, it's such an emotionally addictive show, because I would get these episodes and I was like, oh, gosh, I would just sit in my room and cry, you know, watching the dailies. And, uh, and then I could put that into the work. And I think, um, you know, I, I really worked out a lot of my own feelings working on that show. And so, um, so same with the finale of Hacks. I just remember watching my husband watching it with me and I, he just turned and looked at me because it was all about dealing with Ava's dad's death. And he was like, was this really hard for you? And, and I said, strangely, it wasn't. I just knew how to cut this. I mean, I just, I just, I just could breathe this episode out, you know, because I've, I've been through losing a parent. And um, so anyway, um, so the reason I bring that up is because the morning of the nominations, I had this really intense dream about my mom and it was really amazing. I mean, every, if you've lost someone uh, special and you know, people are always like, they'll visit you in your dreams and maybe they do, maybe they don't. For me, it's only happened, I think three times in my life. And this was the third time. And so it was extremely powerful and very moving to basically be vis <laughs> visited by her. Probably, probably telling you a little too much about this, no, no, but, no. She, but I just remember, and, and in the dream, it was, Emmy nomination morning or something. So I, we walked into the living room and I was like, my husband and my son were there. And I, I was just like, 
I, I, I don't know why I started telling my mom, I was like, things are so good in my life. And I remember that advice you gave me. And, and, um, and I, and I am working on this show called hacks. And, and I was like, and, and look, I have this wonderful husband and so and Everly, my daughter has had a relationship with my mother, like for a while, even though she's never met her, like she feels like she knows her, but I, my son, I was like, mom, I, I want you to meet my son, Roman. And um, it was very emotional. And like my son just started having tears, just like go down his face, very intense. Then weirdly the doorbell rang and it was a handyman and his name was Jesus. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> a handyman <laughs> named Jesus showed up and I was like, Jesus, this is my mother. She died 17 years ago. Anyway, it was a super crazy, intense dream. And so anyway, I woke up and I was like, Wow. I mean, I just felt transformed and mm. I was like, well, no matter what happens today, this day is in the win column because it just feels so amazing. I just felt so loved and I felt so like happy that I had this visit you know, from my mom. So yeah. anyway, it was it was weird, but I was like, I feel really good. I just feel good. And so we turned on the nominations and we started watching them. And I and, and of course, the ones they announce are only the big ones. So I saw that our actors were getting nominated and the show was getting nominated. And then I got a text message from our, our, our sound mixer. And he was like, congrats to the whole team. And I was like, is he, wait, what does that mean? Does that mean, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> cause I was like, does he mean, cause we got the show nominated. And for some reason it was just a little tricky to find it on the internet. And then, um, someone emailed me and she was like, sweet Susan, congratulations. And I was another editor that I love. And I was like, wait, what does this mean? <laughs> so, and, then another, and then another editor friend of mine, Nina Erb, and she actually won the Emmy last year for, um, for Insecure. She texted me and she was like, congratulations, you got it. And I was like, I am so embarrassed to ask this, but did I get nominated? What are you saying? Uh, she was like, she was like, yes, yes. And then, um, and then I looked and, um, and I saw it was our whole team. It like, like, uh, John Cook, our mixer had said it was all three of us. And I was so ecstatic. So I immediately texted Jess and Allie and I was like, you guys, this is historic. This is amazing. And, and we were texting back and forth. And then I was like, wait a minute. Cause they were like, can you find the link? Do you know where the link is? Can you show it to us? And I was like, Wait, you you do know that all three of us got nominated, and they were like, "No, what?" <laughs> it was so it was so hilarious because it was just so hard to figure it out, yeah. and then like we we're all sort of like gently figuring it out, and then we all realized that we all because th I'm sure they were getting texts, you know, like you got nominated, but like not yet realizing that all three of us had gotten it. Yeah, and so it, it's just the best feeling because we all worked so hard, and I'm just so I was just so ecstatic that no one felt left out and that we all get to share in this moment after all the hard work and, um, and just that it's three women, you know, and, and, and Marissa, Marissa, Marissa Mueller should get nominated next year for co-editing 109 with, uh, with, with Jess, but 109 and 110 weren't eligible because of the Emmy cutoff. Mm. So, um, Anyway, so that was my morning. And I was like, literally like had my laptop and I was like shaking coffee on my laptop. I was like, just so nervous trying to see it. So it's just yeah. super exciting. And it was just a really blissed out, wonderful day. But also just in the editing categories, um, I this is the first year I just felt like I knew so many of the people who were very likely going to be nominated. And so it was just, just category after category in editing, I just saw like names of people I adore, like Amy Duddleston and Nona Kadai from WandaVision and Michelle Tesoro from Queen's Gambit. And I just, it was so like, I, oh, and the, the Ted Lasso team, Melissa McCoy and AJ yeah. Caroline. Like I just, I, I can't even tell you how exciting it is. Number one, just because I'm like, I'm going to get to like hang out with these people who have become friends during the pandemic. A lot of us just really 
got to know each other even better through the pandemic because we just would reach out and connect. And so I, it's just, it was so exciting to see all these names of people that I really know and love and admire and, uh, and, and just feel like, wow, you know, I don't know. It's also, I think all of us in the, this comedy editing category, we're all first time Emmy nominees, I think. And so it just feels like this exciting era, you know, where hopefully that'll just keep happening. And yeah. I, I, I just, you know, you work towards moments like this and it's, it's really exciting when, when they arrive, you know, it's like, Hey, we're overnight successes after 18 years of editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's just great. And again, like I could not be more ecstatic that so many um, of the below the line people were recognized as well. Um, yeah. Our DP, Adam Bricker and, and Kathleen Felix Hager, our costume designer and our amazing production designer. And it's just all, you know, it, it just to me spoke to the quality that our, our sound mixers, you know, just across the board, like just the, the technical artistry that is at work in and creating visual and audible storytelling is also such a huge part of it and um oh god it's it feels really good because i think people worked so hard and especially had to work even harder because of the lockdown and the circumstances under which we were working because usually it's just real community team vibe and it was it's hard to achieve that um when we're all just looking at each other in these tiny windows you know and um i i do want to commend uh again lucia jen and paul because they they're just human beings and they really like they were really friendly and warm and supportive as well and um and it just you know you really we really needed that to get through this process oh, together. Yeah. you know we just we we just needed the 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 comfort and the niceness you know because the understanding that like my daughter's gonna walk through the door and you know comment on an actor's hair or whatever the middle of a zoom session but um anyway you know what you had meant asked earlier also about what one thing i loved about hacks and i did want to mention this too which is just how much i loved what they presented about femininity and um that gene and hannah were so fearless in how they allowed themselves to be represented you know that that Jean did that episode 106 new eyes where she's you know in the recovering from surgery and there are a lot of actresses that would have not allowed themselves to be shown that way and it would have demanded um, visual effects, you know, airbrushing and and things like that. And she just she really embraced the spectrum of what they wanted to show that uh, how how a woman, you know, kind of gets herself ready. And and it's not just gets herself ready to look pretty. It's like for her, it was like getting herself ready to go into battle. I just and then same with H- Hannah, allowing herself to not be like have blowouts and you know tons of makeup and so when she shows up at the dinner party in 107 and and kiki has given her this little makeover it is revelatory and i just thought it was so great that they were just down to look like real people (laughs) very relatable real people and then show just how fantastic looking the like the the magic of hair and makeup you know can transform you and it's just they sort of revealing that that it is this art art and artifice um and, and very much part of being a woman and how you present yourself i just thought that was really never really commented on actually but just presented through the storytelling i thought that was so cool <laughs> and um um yeah i just i really really admired that the show went for that and that the actors were game for it yeah 
Sorry, that was a little segue, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course, I, I love it. I, I've loved all of like the little like tangents that you've gone on to sort of explain one more little aspect that you guys created. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's so cool. And I mean, yeah. that's what I love to hear. Um, not just like boilerplate answers that someone yeah. like so. I absolutely love it. Um, now, I also want to tr pay tribute to our, our showrunners also for really taking care of Jean through a very difficult time in her life, too. Oh, yeah. Her, her husband passed away um, like a, a week before. And we'd had to deal with so many shutdowns because of COVID and, you know, and, and, and just crew members and things, just making sure everybody was safe. And, and there you see them on the dailies and they've got the masks and the face shields. And it's just like, I can't imagine what it's like to work like that, too. And then, um, and then Jean lost her husband so suddenly and they, they shut down again for a week and we were so close. We were literally shooting the final two episodes and, and it was like this air date was looming. And at that moment, I think we all were worried just, okay, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it to that air date. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. And, uh, and Jean is, is such an amazing professional and she took a week off and then she said, let's, let's finish this. And she had to come back and do a, um, funeral scene and it just I, I having been through that again that loss of my mother I just like I don't I don't know how she she did that I just yeah. I, really, I was really blown away and um and one thing that was so sweet was that again the, the producers were very protective of her um just not wearing her out and making sure she was like in it had the opportunity to do her best work and not be exhausted by take after take after take you know she and she's Jean smart she doesn't need to do too many takes but I really respected in like episodes 108 when she did the big comedy club scene. It's a huge intense scene where she's on the stage. It's like an eight minute scene um, talking to that guy Drew and taking the 1.69 million scene. Um, when they did the reverse with the audience, it was Lucia standing in for, um, for Jean. And Lucia just knew the whole, you know, all the lines by heart and delivered them like in, with Jean's pacing and, and, but really delivered it so that the audience who are these wonderful background actors that we had in a, a lot of our episodes were really able to truly respond in a great way. So I just, and Lucia has improv experience and, and stand up experience. And so I just loved that she stepped in and she did that because Paul was directing that episode. So she did that for both Jean and Paul, like giving those actors like the real performance to re respond to. And then in the funeral scene in, in 110 in the finale, um, again, for the reverse, um, Paul, Lucia was directing. So Paul stepped in for Jean and he put on the fur coat so uh, that they could have the, the, the dirty shoulder shot, you know, of her sleeve and her, you know, when they're shooting over her shoulder and he, he, he did the whole, you know, emceeing where she, she's calling on people in the audience to tell their stories. And he just, again, he's a great actor. He did a great job. It, it made it the, the background actors and the supporting actors in that scene able to really respond and do their great work. And so, again, I just like they showed up for work. Those, mm -hmm. those crazy showrunners of ours, they worked so hard. And I just I really loved how they showed up for Jean in that way and really helped her to um, be able to not exhaust herself, you know, on some really tough, tough days. Mm. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, uh I appreciate the invitation so much because I'm, it was such a special experience to work on this show and be a part of it. And I just, I love t telling people more about it because it was, it was really extraordinary. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.